Ashley and I went to uh, the beach not too long ago. Uh, so for us, that means uh, not Lake Michigan, but driving uh, across the country with little kids and uh, past uh, through Ohio, through Pennsylvania, uh, into New Jersey, into the ocean. And so we are uh, journeying with kids. It's an adventure in itself, but but as we go there, we just have fun with family. Uh, but uh, this year, I, I was kind of made fun of a little bit uh, because we were watching a TV show uh, late at night, and uh, it was kind of a game show uh, type of thing. Uh, uh, let's make a deal. And uh, a rerun or something. So, you know, there's going to be suspense. Like, does she win big or doesn't she? And in the process, uh, she has already earned a lot. But not only has she earned a lot, she has earned my dream car. And she has earned my dream car. And, and, and to me, I'm like, stop being greedy. You already have this car. You don't deserve this car. This car is too good for you. And that's what's going through my mind. And what you need to understand is I come from a car family. So cars are kind of a big deal. In fact, my brothers probably have had so many cars between them that they could fill up most of the parking lot here. And so cars are just a big thing. So we grow up and we're longing and we're looking at pictures of dad's old Chevelle and we're dreaming about muscle cars and we're dreaming about different luxury cars. So you can only imagine my disdain when this lady does not understand the precious prize she has with my dream car. And in case you're wondering what my dream car is, and this is how I got made fun of. And so I, I set that up to say, hey, we, we come from a car family, um, but, but here's my dream car. Here's what she won. A Chrysler Pacifica with a vacuum. <laughs> I mean, if that's not the coolest. Like, it has a vacuum where you can clean up things. And, and for me, okay, yes, muscle cars and things like that, but where am I in life? That vacuum? Oh, that's useful. Like engineers, that's two thumbs up. Like you did a good job. That's practical. Cup holders, things like that. I'm not too concerned about um, that vacuum. I'm going to use that frequently. Because uh, if you have kids or young kids, you know, and and perhaps some of you even this week, because it was, you know, kind of camp week, you took the opportunity to do a full purge. Like sometimes me and Ashley, we'll go on a, a date night. We'll kind of circle back to the house and just clean. Like, that's fun for us. Uh, let's make sure that we can get things that we couldn't otherwise get because things continually get messy. In fact, we just had like a section this week, like let's clean this section, let's clean that section, let, let's clean this section. By the time we get done, like, we re- recognize all the other sections are dirty again. It's when we went to Mackinac not too long ago and you, you hear their, their process for painting the bridge. It's just continual. They start at one end and just kind of paint. By the time they get to the other, they start again. It's this, it's kind of like us with cleaning. Like we we're cleaning up after kids over and over again, and it just never seems to be completed. And so the thought of just having that access to a vacuum is just astonishing and wonderful. We look at the book of Leviticus. One thing that we noticed over and over again is this idea of being clean before God different things that they need to do, different things that they need to be aware of. Stay away from this. If you encounter this, make sure you clean in this way. 
And perhaps, as time goes on, they're just wondering, when is the full clean going to come? Because I know, I know that I haven't done everything. I know that there's still dirt in the crevices. I know that there's still Cheerios in that car from two years ago somewhere. There's still stuff. There's still dirt. There's still muck. There's still sin. It needs to be purged. It needs to be cleaned. Is there a way? And God, in his grace, in Leviticus 16, provides a way. You can say that this passage is the heart of the book of Leviticus and perhaps the heart of the first five books of the Bible. Access to God. Cleanliness before God. How does it happen? How is it possible? Let's start in verse 1, Leviticus chapter 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron should come into the holy place. From a bull from the herd of a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on a holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put, <clears throat> and then put them on. He shall take from the congregation of these people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the people at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as an offering for himself and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and shall bring it inside the veil. He shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did for the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel. 
and because of their transgressions, all their sins, so that he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of the meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar and all around. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and concentrate it from all uncleanness of the people of Israel. And when he has made atonement for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over all the iniquities of the people of Israel, all the transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put on Put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness. By the hand of a man who is in readiness, the goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of the meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water, in a holy place, and put his garments and come out with his, and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for his people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterwards he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering, and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterwards he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever. That in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall inflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day, listen to this, shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. Let Let me repeat verse 30 before we continue. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall inflict yourself. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as the priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. He shall make atonement for the priests, and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. A lengthy passage, a lot of details, but precious, precious as God provides a way. Is there a day of purging? We see in verse 30, yes, there's a day where they will be cleaned of all their sins. But how does this happen? 
How were they made right before God? We use the word atonement. We can say being made right before God. Or you could break up the word at one meant, at one brought together, mended together, made right, reconciled with the holy God. How does this happen? In this passage, it says three things that it requires. Three things that it requires before God. One is it requires a mediator. It requires a substitute. And it requires a contrite heart. A mediator, a substitute, and a contrite heart. First, it requires a mediator. First thing that we notice for this process is that individual people do not enter into the holy place. This is being brought back into a right relationship with God. This is being brought into the most sacred place of the tabernacle. And not just anyone can march up and go in, but it's the person whom God selects. It's the person that he designates. Remember that this didn't end so well before. The two sons, the verse 1 of 16, when they drew near, they died. They drew near in a way, in a flippant manner, in a way that was not prescribed. And they died. And now, God's providing a way. Do we understand, and and perhaps this is hard for us to grasp, because this is something that we've, we've heard over and over again. We approach God on his terms, not on ours. He gets to set the terms for how we approach him. He gets to set the standards, not us. And this is a theme, Pastor Nate has hit on, this is a theme throughout the book of Leviticus. If you were here for us, uh, with, with us last summer, this is a, a theme in the book of Exodus as well, that God gets to set the terms. And perhaps it's repeated so much because it needs to get through their thick skulls. If you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if something's important and you say it once, you don't simply assume, yes, I learned it, I'm going to master that. No, it's something that you repeat over and over again. And this is what we see, approach on my terms. And perhaps it's even hard for us, but we have to understand what's going on here is God's talking to Moses and setting these terms. You see, we're, we're a little far removed. If Jessica's up here hitting the box drum and is consumed by God, right, the next Next week when we come to church, I think we're going to stay away from that. Don't, no amens. But people are going to stay away. Like, they're not going to go around. Like, I don't want to risk that. Like, I know what happened last week. Go there? No. I'm going to play it safe. But what's happening here? God's saying, no, you can come into my presence. It's okay, and here's how. Follow these instructions. And the way it's possible is through the instructions given to the mediator. And one of the instructions is what he should wear. What he should wear. Not typical priestly garb, all adorned, but simple 
of course, holy, but simple linen clothing. He comes to the Lord, stripped of all pomp and circumstance, and comes simply. Next, we see that this mediator needs sacrifice for himself. Do you notice that in the passage? That Aaron's to come, but he's to come after he offers a sacrifice for himself. You see, the mediator himself, the high priest himself, who should be the most holy, who should be the most clean, still was not holy enough to approach a holy God. He still needed a sacrifice for his own sins. And not only that, but when he came, he brought incense and smoke and it's covering the ark. It's covering the mercy seat. Even as he's invited in, there's a cloud separating. You can come in, but I'm going to protect you and here's how I'm going to do it. See, the ark, the most sacred of the objects in the tabernacle. They'd say this is where the, the feet of God touches earth, if you will. This is the core of the presence of God. Inside the ark is the Ten Commandments. Over top of the ark is the mercy seat covering the Ten Commandments symbolically that they had broken. And now we have a person entering into this sacred space. And God says, this is what it's going to take. One, there's going to be this cloud, there's going to be this smoke, this, this covering. It's going to veil. You can't look upon me. Next, you're going to have to have a sacrifice for yourself. Blood will have to be shed for you. According to tradition, as he offered this sacrifice, he prayed this prayer. Oh God, I have committed iniquity, transgressed and sinned before thee, I in my house. O God, forgive the iniquities and transgressions and sins I have committed, and transgressed and sinned before thee, I in my house, as it is written in the law of thy servant Moses. And here he quotes verse 30 of this chapter. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you from all your sins, and you shall be clean before the Lord. This should cause our, our minds to, to pause and to think about the people of God as this took place. They're passive. They're being represented by somebody else. They're being represented by a sinner. And in order to be fully clean, they're trusting in somebody who himself is not fully clean. This is what God has prescribed. We're trusting in it. We're trusting in, in his mediator, what he says. Can we trust this guy? Will it happen? Will we be clean today? I need to because I know I haven't done enough. I know I still have sins. I know I still have stains in my life. And, but I have hope because of Aaron. But do I have hope? If he fails, we have no atonement. We're not right with God. We're unclean. He needs washing. He needs sacrifice. And not only does he need washing, but everybody who's involved in this whole process needs washing. 
the people of God entered back into God's presence through a mediator. It was as if they were ushered into God's presence, but through somebody else, through somebody who is imperfect. Today, as Christians, we have a great high priest in Jesus Christ. But this high priest did not stop at bringing us back into the temporary dwelling of God. Here's what Hebrews 9.24 says, Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Jesus did what Aaron could never dream of. We have hope. He was perfect. He was complete. He went back. Brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian here this morning, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you have access through the mediator. You have access to God through the mediator. A people who should be cut off, a people who should be not even close to the presence of God are ushered into the very presence of God. If you are in Christ, is as if you are with Christ in heaven right now, you can make your request known before God. You have access. It should change our prayer life. Next, there is one mediator. It's Aaron right here. It wasn't, hey, it's Aaron for you, and it's Bob for you, it's Drew for you. Like, no, no, it's Aaron. Everybody has Aaron. That's, that's your guy. Didn't matter where you were, didn't matter what tribe you're from, Aaron is the mediator. There's a unity. Everyone has the same mediator. There's a great unity for us as Christians to know that Jesus Christ is our mediator. Jesus Christ is the mediator for Christians here this morning. Jesus Christ is the mediator for Christians in New Jersey this morning. Jesus Christ is the mediator for Christians in Mexico, in Great Britain, in Japan. We have the same mediator. What unity we have. It transcends so much of our differences. That matters. Here's another thing. We have one mediator that unites us as Christians also, you are not the mediator. This, this is a freeing thing for us as Christians. We can think to ourselves, and, and I think of this is especially true as we're reaching out to other people and telling them the good news of Jesus, that somehow we can do that in our own power. Somehow we ourselves can usher them into the presence of God. We are not the mediator. Jesus is. We point them to the mediator. We cry out to the mediator on their behalf. But we are not him. That's freeing. God picks, God appoints, and God provides the mediator. Next, atonement requires a substitute. We already discussed a substitute was needed for Aaron 
But there's also a substitute needed for the people. You'll notice over and over again we hear about the sprinkling of blood. The spilling of blood. And there's these two goats and, and the lots are cast. One is for Yahweh, it says, and one is for Azazel. And, and, and the one who's for Yahweh, that lamb is killed. And the blood is used to cleanse. The goat is killed, so the people might not be. The goat is killed because their sins, their uncleanness before God, deserves death. But they're washed clean by the blood of another, a substitute. And not only is this blood sprinkled in the innermost place of the tabernacle. But the process continues as it's spread a little bit wider and a little bit wider. Why? Why does it, is it spread all around? We could say it maybe like this, a little bit different way. The stench of their uncleanliness, the stench of their uncleanliness and their sin filled the air of the tabernacle, filled the place with more vigor, with greater velocity than B.O. from a group of middle school boys at camp. It just saturates everything. It just gets into everything. And no X body spray is not a solution. Right? It needs a thorough clean. And these multiple washings. And everything they touched, everything they came into contact with, was stained, was defiled by sin. So it needed to be cleaned from the inside out. From the inside out. Brothers and sisters, what are we called as Christians today? Sanctuaries of the Most High God? We're not cleaned from the outside in, but from the inside out. We don't clean up a little bit of our our outside life, but God grabs our hearts and cleans us from the inside out. And the closer we get to that God, the more our sin, the more our cleanness becomes a nasty smell to our nose. These atonement day rituals made the impossible possible. By cleaning the sanctuary, they permit a holy God to dwell with an unholy people. If you belong to God, he will purge you. He will clean you. And he's doing that right now. You might not see it. You might not notice it. Be careful of tracking it from day to day. But look back at your life five years ago. Look back at your life ten years ago. Is there progress? Has God been changing you from the inside out? Next, the substitute provides removal. So there was the goat that was killed, that was substituted on their place, but there's also the goat that they placed the hands on and they confessed their sins, their iniquities, their transgressions on this goat, and this goat just marches out of camp, right? It's led out of camp. 
Some of you are say Azazel. Others might say the scapegoat. There are different interpretations for what that means. Is this being offered to a, a, a demon? If in that case, the goat is going back to its, uh, its author. Right? The sins are going back to their author. Is it being led to a specific place? Does that have something to do with the function of the goat? Either case, it's all, the, the point's clear. The goat is being led away from the people. Their sins are being transferred to this goat. They use three different words for sins. This is comprehensive. This is all their sins. This is complete transfer on this goat. No matter what you have, the goat can bear it and the goat will take it. And the goat's taking it far away. You might wonder, well, what if the goat comes back? What if the goat comes marching back into the camp? No! If the goat comes back, maybe maybe it would be wise for the people who are leading this goat out just kind of shove it off a cliff. (laughs) You know, like, it's not coming back now. Well, in Jewish tradition, that happened. They did shove it off a cliff. We don't want it to come back. We want that far away. But even there's, there's so many, like, could this go wrong? We have a, we have a, a mediator who's, who's a sinner. We have a goat that, would this goat come back? Can it bear these weights, these sins? I, I, I don't know. There's so many things. But here's some things for us to think about as Christians today. As Christians today. If we belong to Jesus Christ. We say he, Isaiah He bears the iniquity of us all. He takes our sins on himself. And our sins are as far away as the east is from the west. Like immeasurable. You can't, can't, there's no way to, to quantify what that means. They're away and they're gone. And he is able to bear them. And he is not bringing them back. He has paid for them. So first, our sins are carried far away. Another thing that we, we need to keep in mind, I think, is payment for sin. So our sins are satisfied in the goat. The, the one goat is substituted for us. But that goes hand in hand with the removal of sin. One thing we don't see is people with lassos chasing this scapegoat around, trying to lasso it, pull it back in and say, No, I want my sin! I want it to be close to me. I want to cuddle the sin. We don't see that. But don't we operate like that sometimes? Jesus, you're okay. I trust you. Thanks for paying for my sin. But please don't take it away. Please let it sit next to me. I I, I like it. I want to pet this sin of mine. I want to feed it. Brothers and sisters, for atonement, to be made right with God not only is our sin paid for, but it's carried far away. This does not mean that we will not struggle with sin. They will not fight against temptation. But it does mean positionally right now, before God, your sin is far from you. Are you living in light of that truth? Or are we feeding the sins in our life? Are we chasing after them? Like some crazy goat farmer. If you're a goat farmer, no offense to you. (laughs) 
Uh, lastly, atonement requires a contrite heart. Saying, where's the role of the people in this? What are they doing? Is this simply a mediator going on their behalf and animals being killed on their behalf and blood being spilled on their behalf and, and, and sin being carried on their behalf? But does this simply mean because this ritual took place, now everybody automatically is, is, is forgiven, is fine? What we see instead in Leviticus 16 Verse 29, this will be a statute for you forever. On the seventh month and the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourself and shall work no longer, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. This will be an atonement for you. You shall cleanse before the Lord. It's a Sabbath. You shall afflict yourselves. It's a statute forever. There's a sense where the people themselves are leaning into this by the posture of their hearts. On this day, so it, was, it was accompanied by fasting, by self-examination, by prayer. Really, it was accompanied by faith in what God was doing, what God would do, what God promised. To come, they came with faith and repentance. Trusting in Jesus. Just like the priest came and, and he came and all, he, he stripped himself of his clothes and he just had these linen garments on and he was, he was considered nothing before God. So the people of God were considered nothing before him. Nothing do I bring to you. As I was reflecting on this, as I was meditating on this week, I couldn't help but reminded of, of lyrics from Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. This is what it says. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Nothing. Nothing in us. We need Jesus. We trust in him, in what he has done. We're united to him through faith. Listen, there's many of us, maybe even in this room right now, that have trusted in the ritual. We've trusted in going to church. We've trusted in the family that we grew up in. We've trusted in knowing the details of what took place, but we've never leaned into the sacrifice of Jesus by personal faith and repentance. We never grabbed hold of what he has done for us. that you here this morning? Have you grabbed a hold of Jesus? Have you grabbed a hold of Jesus Christ? Think about all the people of God knowing their sinfulness before God. Knowing the sacrifices that they made were insufficient, but they're having hope on this day of atonement. God was making full atonement. They could declare it's okay because what Aaron will do. I have failed. I have missed things. I am unclean. I am just in sackcloth and ashes. I have nothing to bring, but I know that Aaron will take care of it. I know that what takes place today will be enough for me. Think about how much better for us today. 
We have a high priest who Aaron only pointed forward to. A high priest who is completely blameless. Blameless. When we are weary, when we feel as if we failed once again, when we are being crushed by the weight of our sin, we do not say, it's okay okay because of what Aaron will do. We can loudly proclaim, it is finished because of what Christ has done. It's finished. It's complete. Not only, I, I know it's complete. I know the hope is there because he has risen. Aaron was simply a shadow pointing to the hope. In the book of Hebrews, we, we hear over and over again, blood of, of bulls and goats, they don't really cleanse anything. They simply point forward to the perfect sacrifice. Who's the perfect sacrifice? Jesus. The book of Hebrews says, you know those mediators, the the ones that came before, you know that great high priest, he had to offer blood for himself. You know what Jesus did? He offered his own blood. You know those priests, they had to do it over and over again every year. They had to have this full cleansing. Guess what? The purge has been done. Jesus has accomplished it. Trust in him and live. If you're here this morning, you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, my plea for you this morning is come to God through repentance and faith. There was access to God through Aaron in just a distant shadow of how for us we are ushered into the presence of God. We are made right with God because God became flesh for us. What beauty. What perfection. We do not need to fear. We have hope for today. We have hope for tomorrow because of our mediator. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you. And God, I praise you for who Jesus is. I praise you that in this passage we have so many details of things that your people went through and and details that could seem vague and, and distinct and different from us today, but yet they point forward to the beauty of what Jesus has accomplished for us. We thank you that there's hope, that we have access to you, not through our own works, not through what we do, but simply in trusting in what has been done for us in Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen.